Uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. So today's passage is actually two separate verses. Um, the first one is Proverbs 14:27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. The second one is Proverbs 29:25. The fear of man uh, lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This is the word of God. Thanks, brother. Welcome once again, all of you, to this gathering of New Hope Fellowship. It's, it is a, a great privilege for us to be able to worship God together and to study his word together. Um, if you're visiting with us again, you are especially welcome. We're very, very glad that you're here with us. If you're here for the first time or just recently started coming, and we look forward to getting to know you. Please do stick around if you're able after the service. There's some food back there. We can get to know you and talk a little bit, catch up. We are in the beginning of February, God willing, we're going to go back to the Gospel of Mark, which we had been studying um, last year. We've, we took a break from the Gospel of Mark, and right now we're in the midst of a very short series, as I think Tim alluded to earlier, where what we're trying to do is start this new year by looking at what God's Word has to tell us about living wisely. Just a few things. We're not looking at everything God's Word has said. Just a few things, especially from the book of Proverbs, that, in which God communicates to us wisdom. We need wisdom for the new year. So that's what we're after today. We're after wisdom for the new year. I once saw hanging on a wall this particular sign. The sign that says, do right and fear no man. And I, and I took a snapshot of it and it, and it struck me and, and, and it, it was memorable. And it impacted me, I think, because it just struck me as simply good, straightforward advice. But as I looked at that sign, I also had to admit and it reminded me of the fact that I've often failed to live up to this ideal. Have you ever failed to live up to this ideal? If we're honest with ourselves, perhaps we'd all have to admit that we have at times feared people. And sometimes that fear of people has led us to do the wrong thing or to not do right, to not do good. And God knows this. He recognizes that for many of us, the fear of people, fear of man, as the Bible puts it, is a problem. It can be very hard for us to fear no man. And so God lovingly gives us this wise word of instruction in Proverbs 29, 25. What, what he says here in Proverbs 29, 25 is part encouragement. It's also part warning that we need to take seriously. He says, the fear of man lays a snare. That means it lays a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. We talked last Sunday about trusting the Lord, if you remember, if you were here. We studied Proverbs 3, 5 last week, which says to us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. So that proverb, it, it contrasts trusting God with trusting self. That's the contrast. But here, the passage we're looking at today in Proverbs 29 actually contrasts trusting God with fearing people. 
And so to help us understand and apply this proverb today, we're going to ask two questions. We're going to ask, why do we fear people and how do we break free from that fear? Why do we fear people? How do we break free? So why do we fear people? How would you answer that question? In some cases, maybe it's obvious, it's simple. We fear some people because they have the power to hurt us. People can cause hurt, can't they? People can damage us and the people we love. People can kill. And it's obvious why a victim of abuse would fear their abuser, for instance, or why you might fear an armed invader, an armed aggressor who threatens your life. The experience of trauma in our lives could make us fear people even more. It's true. But when the Bible speaks of this fear of man, I believe it means more than just that kind of fear. When the Bible talks about the fear of man, I believe it's talking about, a, in some cases, an, an, a consuming, oppressive concern with what others can do to you. In fact, it can even go even deeper than that. This fear of man thing could be a fear of what people simply think of you, whether or not they approve of you. The fear of man can look like a controlling worry about the opinions of others about you. Can you relate to that kind of fear? You ever fear that kind of fear? It can drive you to do things that you regret just to protect your image or to get approval or to get validation. Or it can stop you from doing good things that you know you should do. And it often, this kind of fear results in shame. It can feel controlling at times because it is controlling. According to this proverb, this kind of fear, in fact, is bondage. It, it lays a snare. It lays a trap for us that then holds us prisoner. So for starters, I'd like for us to, each of us, to try to identify whether we might have a problem with the fear of man. There's an author named Ed Welch wrote a fantastic, helpful book called When People Are Big and God is Small, Overcoming Peer Pressure, Codependency, and the Fear of Man. It's a book that's steeped in scripture, and it asks, it begins with, a bunch of diagnostic questions, these questions that are aimed at identifying whether or not you have a problem with the fear of man. Maybe these questions will help you. Here are some of them. Here are some of them. Do you get easily embarrassed? Do you find yourself getting angry and defensive when someone simply doesn't like you or doesn't like you as much as you wish they would? Are you overly concerned with your appearance? Are you often concerned about whether you're attractive to others? Do you crave being noticed or complimented? Do you find yourselves at times even fishing for compliments or doing things just to be noticed? Do you find yourself lashing out at others who impede you from looking good, who get in the way of your reputation? Are you afraid you might be exposed as an imposter and so you find yourself spending time managing your reputation, maybe even lying or twisting the truth to make yourself look good and to protect your image? Here's a, here's a, here's a different one. Do you have trouble saying no? That is, that is, you want the approval of people so badly 
that you can't say no to their requests for fear that you'll let them down and they won't like you anymore. And so as a result, you end up overcommitting yourself to too many things. Will you hold back from being honest with a friend because you worry that they'll reject you if you're honest with them? Or do you keep from speaking the gospel because you fear how you'll be perceived? These questions seem almost scattered, like they're about a bunch of different things, but I think that if you look at them closely, the unifying theme is that they all have to do with the way, concern with the way that you are perceived, the way you are thought of by others. Later in this book, Edward Welch, he writes, he says, the fear of man is such a part of our human fabric that we should check for a pulse if someone denies it. In other words, if you don't have a problem with any of these things, you may not be alive. You may not be breathing because to be human is to deal with this kind of fear at some level. Now, for some of us, it might be more controlling. It might be more of a, a source of just shame and pain. And for others, it's, it's less constant. But why is this such a problem for so many of us? Why is it a problem? There's, there's a scene in the Gospel of John that I believe provides us some insight. And so I want us to look at the Gospel of John briefly and, and, and see what it has to show us about this. At this point in the Gospel of John that we're about to read in a moment, Jesus has already performed many miracles. He even raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. And as a result of his teaching and his miracles, his signs, many, many people were already believing that he was the Messiah. They were believing that God had sent him as Savior and they had begun to follow him. But not everyone believed in him. In fact, there were religious authorities who were adamantly criticizing him. And so when we get to, to John chapter 12, Jesus at this point is in the city of Jerusalem. He's been teaching crowds. He's been telling them that, that he is in fact the, the Messiah that the ancient prophets promised. And then in John 12, 42, it tells us this. It says, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So get this, some authorities, people, these are people who had influence, people who had power, but they feared the other authorities. <laughs> In fact, they feared the other authorities so much. They feared their peers, in a, in a sense, so much that if they, if they admitted believing in Jesus, they, they feared that they'd lose their status. They would be talked about. They would be criticized. They would be laughed at. They, they might even be ostracized from their, from their community. There, there, was this, there was a serious social relational price to be paid if they were to align themselves with Jesus and they feared paying that price. They were afraid of the Pharisees, it says. In a sense, they were afraid of their peers. Now, now these were people who were already very highly esteemed by folks around them, but, but they wanted to protect that esteem. They wanted to protect that reputation. And, and, and John 
describes them so perceptively in verse 43 in a way that gives us insight into the root where the fear of man comes from when he says in verse 43, they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That really gets to the bottom of it. New Hope, I'm convinced of it. It helps us see where this kind of fear originates. Notice, notice, there's, there's a glory that comes from people, and there's a glory that comes from God. And these folks valued the former glory more than the latter glory. And that is super, super important. You see, in their eyes, the approval of people was more important than the approval of God. In a sense, God was small in their, in their view, and people had become very big in their view. You know, the desire for glory, the desire, think of it this way, the desire to be honored, respected, it's not in itself a bad thing. Do you know that? Desire for glory is not a bad thing. In fact, that desire is wired into you, into us by God. When, when God made the first humans, he, he blessed them. That, that means he, he spoke well of them. He said they were very good. You see, they were honored by God. He approved of them. He esteemed them highly. Psalm 8 gets at this powerfully. Look at these verses. The psalmist asks, what is man? He's speaking to God. What is man that you're so mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You, Lord, you have made him, us, a little lower than the heavenly beings. And you've crowned him with glory and honor. God has crowned his creation. People made in his image, you and I, he has crowned us with glory and honor. Humanity was made to receive glory and honor. We are wired to want it. We were given it by God. And the Proverbs tell us that glory and honor are good things to be valued. But the question is, who do you want glory from? Whose honor is most valuable to you? Adam and Eve received honor from God, but, but they craved something else. And ever since they fell into sin... Humanity's been looking for honor and glory in all the wrong places, from all the wrong sources. That, that craving that's hardwired in there now has been, become warped and misdirected so that we look for what only God can give us from others. And we try to fill that hole with the approval and the validation and the respect and the esteem of people. It's the problem we see in John chapter 12. We love, the, like those authorities, we love the glory that comes from man at times more than the glory that comes from God. Rather than accept honor from the one who made us, who knows us, who loves us, we seek glory from other broken people who are all chasing the same thing that we're chasing. They all want the same approval we're after. And that glory, it comes in different forms. It could look like approval or, or validation. Like it could look like acceptance. It's a trap. 
It's a trap. It's a con, in fact, because what happens is it keeps us chasing something that is short-lived when we get it, never fully fulfills us, and sometimes, sometimes always just feels like it's just out of reach. And it's fascinating to think that when Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately did something that they had never done before. After sinning, they hid. They hid. When they disobeyed God, they did it boldly. They called God a liar boldly. But now, after they had fallen into sin, what happens? They are so, so scared. They begin to hide their true selves. They're filled with shame and in each other's presence, they can't even bear to be seen by one another. And they became defensive and they became critical of one another. Isn't that what the fear of man drives us to do? I'm not saying that Adam and Eve's original sin was the fear of man. They committed another sin. I'm not saying that fear of man is what brought sin into the world. They committed a sin by disobeying God, by rejecting his word, and by, and by uh, uh, living according to their own, uh, their own uh, uh, wisdom. They ate of the tree that they were told not to eat. But what I'm saying is that as soon as they did commit that sin... And sin entered the world, what happened next? It brought with it this controlling insecurity and fear that some of us know all too well. And that's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. And ever since humanity has lived with that insecurity and that fear, our desire for glory and honor and validation, it got warped so that rather than now accept and enjoy the glory and the acceptance of God that he gives us, we want it from others. In a sense, we don't care if God crowns us with glory and honor. Sometimes we just want someone else to respect us. Man, I'd be happy if they just liked me. And so we look for approval in small, sickening ways. We hide our real selves. We try to hide our faults so that people can't see them. And we, we, we end up presenting to the world a fake self that we hope will be honored and loved. And it's a trap. It's a prison. How do we break free from it? Is it possible to break free from it? You know, some who feel trapped by this fear might say, look, the way to break free, the way to get over the fear of man is just to get more confident. Build more self-confidence, and you will get rid of this crippling fear of people. Some others might say, hey, the best way to break free of this fear is just stop caring about people. Stop caring about them. Do you care about yourself? Now, Now, both of these strategies might be somewhat effective to a point, but they both have serious downsides. They're both not final solutions. Of course, if you say, I'm just going to be more confident, no one can, I don't care what other people say about me, I judge myself and I love myself and I approve of myself. That sounds healthy, but is it? Is it? Because what happens when you fail? What happens when you disappoint yourself or when you hurt others and you're ashamed and you're guilty? You either have to ignore that or you need to rationalize it or you need to live with that burden of guilt. 
I haven't lived up to my own standard. I'm disappointed in myself. I have failed, and, and it leads to self-hate. Of course, if you go in the other route and you just say, I'm not going to care about people at all. Forget people. And that just turns you into an awful person. <laughs> Selfish and hate-filled. And I'd say either, either one is a trap in and of itself. We're just trading traps. Prisons. But we were made for so much more, so much more. There's another way to break free, to truly break free from the prison of the fear of man. And Proverbs 20, 29, 25 tells us what it is. It says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Safe. You know, that word for safe, it literally means elevated, up high. Think about, like, there's a trap on the, on the, on the ground. You've been elevated. You've been lifted up high so that trap no longer poses a threat to you. You're out of reach of the trap. God, through trusting him, keeps us safe and outside the reach of this oppressive trap. Look, the only way of really escaping the trap set by the fear of man, the only way to truly break free is to look for honor and approval that's better, that's bigger than what any person can offer you, even yourself. The way to break free is by trusting in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. What does that mean exactly? Well, like I said, it means accepting and looking for honor and approval that's better than what we get from people getting it from him because his approval actually frees us it doesn't trap us it liberates us and his approval is available it's available in fact it's guaranteed to us in Jesus Christ look at what it says in John chapter 1 try to, try to look at John chapter 1 through this lens that we've been discussing it says there Jesus, he, Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. They didn't give him honor. They didn't give him respect. They didn't glorify him. They rejected him. They did not receive him. But, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The right to become children of God. Notice, Jesus' own people did not receive him. They didn't acknowledge him or honor him. So, so that means, on the one hand, that Jesus knows what rejection feels like. He knows what disapproval feels like. But it did not crush him permanently because he knew the full approval of the Father. He had been honored by his Father. He knew and enjoyed glory from his Father, God. And now, for all who believe in Jesus, who honor him as Savior and Lord, he now gives us the right to also be children of God. That means that we get that status of son. That means that we are now honored. We are now accepted. We are now validated and approved of fully through our connection to Jesus. We get to enjoy the status of inclusion and full approval by God the Father, which is what we were made for. Remember, Psalm 8 says, you have crowned them with glory and honor, and yet because of our sin and because of the fall, we, it's gotten 
warped. We've lost the sense of what it even means to have glory and honor from God. And so we chase after glory and honor from people. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we're restored. And we are given the glory and honor that we were made to enjoy. The same God who looked at Jesus Christ and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased now looks at you and says the same thing. This is my son. This is my daughter in Christ. I'm so pleased in him. I am so well pleased in her. How does that measure up to the fleeting approval and flattery and compliments of people? He honors you. He honors you. He is protective of you. He values you as priceless. So who cares what others think? Who cares what others think? Years ago, I, I regret doing this, frankly, but years ago, when, when our first two children were both very little, someone suggested that we take them to, we knew some people that worked in the advertising um, world. And they suggested, why don't you bring in your kids and um, get them interviewed to become uh, models. Do that. I regret it. No, no judgment if you've done this and it's gone well for you. But we took our kids in there. Well, we didn't even take our kids. We took pictures of our kids. Oh, no, we took the kids and some pictures. And they said, show us some pictures. And we showed them some pictures. And I was uncomfortable with it from the beginning because I felt like my little precious little babies were being judged by these people. I didn't even know. And so you start looking through the, they didn't seem so impressed, you know. They're like looking, they're like, hmm. And as they were just leafing through these photos, I felt in my heart this indignation. It was thinking, who in the world are you to judge my child? In fact, why would I even give you these pictures? Give me them back. Let's get out of here, Delimar, and never come back. You are not, you don't have the right to judge my children. And so I believe that the Lord cherishes his children so deeply that while we may get so caught up with the pain of rejection or disapproval or judgment or being ignored or being judged as less than whatever it is, he looks and says, those people don't even have the right to judge my children. I delight in you. You are my beloved. And so he wants to rescue us from the trap of that fear of man. And the more we begin to internalize that, the more that the honor and the acceptance of people will start to look cheap. And the more people will, will begin to lose their power over us. And the more precious the approval of God will become to us. The more we will seek to know experientially more and more of what it means to know and be honored by him. And the only way we can internalize that reality is by exposing ourselves again and again to the gospel. I don't just mean telling myself, I'm accepted in Christ, I'm accepted in Christ, I'm accepted in Christ. It's not just that, like it's some kind of magic pill. If I say it enough, I'll believe it. No, we need to push into the gospel to see how it speaks to our fear of man in very specific ways and how it frees us from that trap. In Christ, new hope, in Christ, you can say this with me if you have believed in Jesus. In Christ, I have been received as a child of God. He delights in me 
I, I so want to belong. Don't you want to belong with God? You belong. In Christ, God sees me as righteous, as acceptable. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God. So I don't have anything to prove. You don't have anything to prove if you're in Christ. Jesus fulfilled our desperate need to measure up. He has covered your shame. In Christ, we're not alone. He's always with us so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Oh, that the Lord would help us to internalize and live in the light of that glorious reality. In Christ, I now have the Spirit of God living in me. For God gave us a spirit, not of what? Not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I may experience rejection and humiliation and disrespect, but I can persevere, and so can you, because in Christ, our future is glorious. To this he called you through the gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's your future. That's your future in Christ. The gospel and the Proverbs themselves, they tell us, trust God to honor you. Everything you stand to lose from people, God guarantees you all of that in the gospel. Everything people can hold back from you, God will give you. Let's drink that in, church. Let's drink that in as we walk through this new year. And as we do that, we will begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us. Yes, sinners in need of grace. And yet fully accepted, covered, and righteous because Jesus died for us. And we'll begin to trust more and more about what he, when, what he says about us. And what other people say will start to matter less and less. It's a long road, but it does, he has promised, he will finish the work that he's begun in us. As we begin to trust more and more that he means it when he says, you are mine, you are loved, you are valued, you are approved, and we will love him more as a result, you see. We will love him more as a result. And that's important that we love him more. Because if someone says, if someone compliments you, or if someone says, you look great today, or if someone says, oh, you're so smart, doesn't it mean more when it's coming from someone that you actually care about? When a stranger says it, it's creepy, right? But when someone you actually care, or if someone else, you might, you might question, like, why are they even saying that? Or you might be like, who cares? Who cares what this person thinks? Their opinion is irrelevant to me. I don't respect them enough to care about their opinion. But when someone you really care about, someone that you have deep affection for and respect for, speaks words like that to you, oh, that deeply encourages you. Why? Why? Because the source matters to you. The more that we grow to love God, the more we grow to care about what he thinks, the less we'll care about what others think. I want to show you one more passage in the scriptures. It's in, it's in 1 Corinthians. And it's the Apostle Paul speaking here. 
It's a beautiful passage. He says, this is how one should regard us. This is how I want to be seen, he says, as servant of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love to be able to say that, honestly? It matters very, it's interesting that, that Paul doesn't even say it doesn't matter to me at all how you judge me. He says it matters, but just a little. It doesn't matter that much. Wouldn't it be wonderful we could look at the people in our lives and say, you, how you judge me matters very little to me. Your opinion matters, but it's not everything to me. He says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. You see, he's saying, what you think of me is not the final word on me. In fact, what I think of myself is not even the final word on me. The final word comes from the Lord who judges me. And when the Lord judges me, he judges me as righteous in Jesus Christ. You notice that, that freedom from, from the fear, Paul seemed to have overcome the freedom of, of like the fear of man. But it didn't turn him into like a self-assured, cocky guy who's like, I don't care what anyone thinks. No, it turned him into someone who wanted to serve God and to serve people. That's really important to see here. He says, how do I want to be seen? As a servant. And I want to be seen as faithful. I want to be faithful and I want to serve. He was freed to serve God and to serve people. That's what happens when we break free from the prison of the fear of man. Because when we're craving and we're chasing approval from others, we can't love people well. No, when you just want people's approval, you're using people. You're not loving and serving them. You're using them to hopefully get the reaction you want from them, to bolster up your own sense of self-worth, trusting and fearing God frees us up to love people rather than fear them. Do you see the power in that? Because of the gospel, now, you've been, if you've been freed, you, every conversation doesn't need to be an audition anymore. You got nothing to prove. You no longer have to compete with others for honor Instead, now you can give out honor. You can honor people. We want approval. It's true. We want glory. We always will. We've been hardwired to desire, but we'll keep trying to get it from family and colleagues and strangers we've never met on the internet unless we believe that there's a greater honor that comes from God. Now, there, there is... Clearly, there's no magic pill to save us from the fear of man. This sermon isn't a magic pill, that's for sure. But I do hope that what we're talking about today will help us understand this problem a little better. And my hope is that, that over time, as we intentionally hear and speak this gospel to one another and to ourselves, that the Holy Spirit will indeed free us to declare, like the ancient psalmist declared, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray, New Home. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, would that you would free us from the obsession, the craving for the approval of others. Lord, we ask, we ask that we would seek you and the glory of 
that you bestow on us in Christ. And Lord, we pray that that would drive us to actually become servants of other people rather than fearers of other people. That it would drive us to be servants of you. Oh Lord, we want to fear no man. We want to do right. So we ask that in this new year, grow us, grow us, grow us to fear people less and to trust you more. We ask this knowing that you are able. With us it's impossible, but with you, all things are possible. Amen. Amen.